we go. Perfect. Great. Thanks, Jim. Um, yes. Uh, just to say, for those who wanted healing, I just felt a nudge to remind us, don't let it be just a sentimental, that was a nice moment. Genuinely, if there are some of you here who are crying out for some kind of healing and provision, check yourself through our gathering, you know, test it out afterwards. Uh, go for more prayer for someone. I just really felt to say, don't let it just be a something that gets confined to the service and that was just nice to have someone lay hands and pray over you test it out get more prayer and receive your healing whatever the lord has planned for that just to say if that's okay okay well everyone so we here at hope church are made up of born again disciples of jesus christ if you didn't know that we here at Hope Church are made up of born-again disciples of Jesus. But reflecting on that term, I think it's one that has fallen out of popularity in recent years to be born again, replaced perhaps by other equally important and biblical terms like disciple or follower of the way uh, and things of that nature. But there is something unique and special and equally biblical about identifying ourselves as born-again disciples, as born-again disciples. And I feel as though today's passage that we're going to briefly look at would remind us to hold on to our identity as being born again and Jesus's identity or an aspect of his identity as the giver of new life. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Jesus is the giver of the new birth. Jesus is the giver of new life. For those who are visiting us, we're going through a series through John's Gospel where we're looking at important aspects of Jesus's identity, who he is and then who we are in light of that. So we've now made it into chapter three. So it'll appear on the screen. Otherwise, feel free to pick up your Bibles and we're going to read the first eight verses of chapter three and just briefly unpack them. So John chapter three, verses one to eight says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So let's unpack then from this text that we've just read, from, just read from the Bible, four realities of our new birth, of being 
born again. Firstly, I just want, to look, want us to look at, from the scriptures, why we even needed to be born again. Secondly, what is the new birth that we can experience, or for those of us who have, what it is. Thirdly, how the Spirit sovereignly makes it happen to us. And fourthly, what our response will be to those realities going forward. So firstly then, why we needed to be born again in the first place. Let's look at verses 1 to 3 again, just to refresh ourselves. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So here comes a man called Nicodemus who's described as a Pharisee. And if you've heard previous messages, you may have remembered we looked briefly at these different popular religious groups in the times of Jesus. The Pharisees, another group called the Essenes, another group called the Sadducees. The point being, there were these different groups, part with with different views of God, of different views of salvation, what's called here the kingdom of God, which is all about us being saved, us being back to God as our father, all these different groups. And Nicodemus, he's part of the Pharisaical group, a group called the Pharisees. And as a Pharisee then, Nicodemus was likely to be highly religious and passionate about such things like rituals, purity, strict observance to something called the law, which is the Old Testament, which up to this point is all that the Jews had. That was God's word to them, was the law of God delivered by Moses. So he would have been a stickler for the law, trying his hardest to obey it along with everyone else at the time because it was through obeying the law that people believed they would be saved. God would be, they would be acceptable to God. God would accept them going forward as they obeyed. So he would piously, along with other Pharisees like himself, separate himself from other people, more common people, people who weren't as pure as him, people who couldn't do as well as him, people who were unclean, impure, and didn't keep the law as well as him and his fellow Pharisees could have done. He would have cared more about outward appearance than inward transformation. He would have cared about outward appearance more than inward transformation. So Jesus is teaching now on what he's calling the new birth, being born again, would have been a difficult pill for someone like Nicodemus to swallow. As we read later on, he's asking questions, which basically can be summed up with, huh? Like, what? I don't understand, I don't get this. And Jesus will go on to say, actually, not this morning, but when we, look, when we come again, you're a teacher of the Jews and you don't understand this? This is like bare basics. This is, this is the point that the law of God was pointing to. This was the need the law of God was pointing to, to be born again. And it just went over Nicodemus's head. So Nicodemus himself, though, he, he was a prominent Pharisee. He was part of something called the Sanhedrin, 
which in this Bible translation says the Jewish ruling council. So they were the group who would basically strictly rule over the Jews. They would come to them for guidance, for leadership, and they would just put on them a heavy burden. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And again, you will be acceptable in God's sight. And he was, he was part of that group, laying those heavy burdens on the common people, on the poor common person in their time. Maybe it was kind of like perhaps our parliament somewhat is today. Just that group of people coming together to help establish laws, you know, verbal laws. They've got their written law, but they also added oral laws as well. They spoke into specific situations to try and be as specific as possible, really to make it as difficult as possible for someone to come to know God. But they were totally blind to that. So he would have been part of this kind of parliamentary get-together where these men were establishing these strict laws on how to live. It was made up then, this council was made up of people like elders and priests made up of teachers of the law, so those specifically educated in trying to teach the people how to obey God. And it was governed by them and the Jewish people. So here comes Nicodemus then at night, at night, possibly to avoid people noticing that he's going to Jesus, because Jesus has got a bit of a name for himself now already, a bit of a reputation. So maybe Nicodemus came along so he could avoid being seen by his colleagues and by his peers because he was interested. He recognised there was something of Jesus that he wanted to unpack. He calls him a messenger of God. He's at least recognised that Jesus is something of a messenger of God. But what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, plain and simply, Nicodemus, you have to be born again for you to enter the kingdom of God and be saved you are to be born again. And the reason for this, cutting it to the core, black and white, Nicodemus was at that moment dead. Nicodemus was dead. So John, you may not have just been describing possibly Nicodemus's visit in the, in the nighttime, literally, John being the somewhat poetical person he was, he may have written this thinking, ah, yes, but we know the soul of Nicodemus. Nicodemus's soul was dark. It was like the night because it was dead. Nicodemus, just like each and every one of us here this morning at some point in our lives before we knew Jesus, and the whole world before us and this generation have experienced spiritual death. It's what we were born into. We were dead, just like Nicodemus was, in our souls, right in our core. Our first birth, ironically, was a birth into death. We came into this world alive in the flesh, functioning brain, heart, muscles. But in our spirits, in our souls, we were born dead to the things of God, dead to God himself. We weren't born alive to him. And... The cause of our being born in that way, our sin. The Bible elsewhere says that the consequences of sin is death. Consequences of sin is death. And the result of sin is to die. So the whole human race, when it comes to sin, 
is just totally depraved in that sense. Not in that we can, we are the most sinful way we could be, but in that at one point in our lives before Jesus knew us, every part of us was tainted with sin. Our mind and its thoughts, our hearts and its emotions, even our tongue and its words, even our wills, what we desired to do was tainted by sin. It was in bondage to sin. It was tied up with disobedience to God, which is what sin is. To sin is to disobey God and to not go about his way and to turn our back on him. And as we were born and lived our lives, that's immediately the slant. That was the edge that we were born into and lived like as well. We lived in sin. But not just that, because you might be thinking, well, you know, what about those first few moments? You know, what about as we grew up, etc.? But the reality is actually, if you look all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, remember the book of Genesis, God inspired words teaching us how things came about the way they're about today. He talks about Adam and Eve, our first dad and our first mum. And what happened to them? Sadly, they fell short of the glory of God. They sinned. They disobeyed him. They wanted to do things their way. They were tempted by the devil in the form of the snake. And as a result of that temptation, they gave in. They disobeyed. And they sinned. And Adam, he's a special bloke when you read the Bible. He's actually a very special guy in the sense of because he was the first man on earth, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman on earth, when they sinned and when they fell, everyone who came after them, which for us here at Hope Church, we believe is us and all the human race, we were marked, we were marred, we were tainted, we were covered in that slimy, poisonous venom that is sin. So when we were born, we were born into sin. Our nature itself was covered in sin. So yes, we go on wanting to disobey God, and we were born into that very identity as well, thanks to Adam's screw-up, unfortunately. But there is hope. We'll get to it. There is hope. So as soon as our first father, Adam, sinned, he fell into that spiritual death I was talking about, that Nicodemus has been told by Jesus is his identity at the moment. He's spiritually dead. He's in the night. He's in the darkness of the night in his soul. So all who have come from him have inherited his sinful nature. Think of a corpse, right? I went to see my first corpse ever. I've only ever seen one. I was doing a placement in Gloucester when I was um, at college. And I went to stay for the summer with a pastor and his wife, which was lovely. It was a great time. But he said, let's go to Sheffield. Because I used to work in Sheffield as an undertaker. Worked for the funeral service there. And he planned all this out because we did all the relatively nice things, as nice as looking up funeral arrangements and how that all works can be. We went to the funeral home. He showed us how it all works, the coffins, etc. Got a little bit of a tour. And we went to it for a nice carvery lunch. And then he specifically waited till the night time after dinner. I swear it was like eight or nine and it was pitch black. Then he took me to the morgue. Then we went to the morgue. So we, he had a friend there, hooked us up, let us come into the morgue, regaled us with all these stories, which I won't do because it's Sunday morning and make, you ch- make your stomach churn, but he told us some gruesome stories. But there and then was the first time I'd seen it. He got into, you know, I don't know if everyone's ever been there, 
but he got into this massive kind of wall and there in the wall you've got like the cold stainless steel drawers really with the handles poking out and he did make sure he said Jonathan are you sure now you want to see this and I was like it's good for my learning it's good for my experience let's see it come on she pulled it out and to this day I'll never forget what she what she looked like short hair cold blue obviously still completely lifeless I still remember her to this day and how different she was from me my friend and that morgue employee as we were looking at her she was lying flat cold motionless and lifeless in the physical she was a corpse she was a cadaver she could do nothing she had no freedom no liberty she was bound to her identity which was a dead person and it translates into the spiritual we are like a corpse when it comes to our spirits before we knew jesus no motion to do what god wants to do no desire to do things god's way and no will to be able to obey god and understand anything of him we were just dead we needed help so you can't just like shout at a corpse and say get up get up move you can't even really lift them up or like you can try they'll be dead weight and heavy but they're not going to do anything they're out for the count they're dead they're goners it's not going to work and it's exactly the same for us before jesus gave us new life we needed life we were dead new life was given us through the new birth which brings us on secondly then to this question well what is the new birth most of us here have experienced this but we may not fully grasp the reality of it what is the new birth that's pretty much what nicodemus is asking then when he said in verses 4 to jesus how can a man be born when he's old nicodemus asked surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born Jesus answered I tell you the truth no one nada bubkus no one can enter the kingdom of god unless he's born of water and the spirit born in the spiritual flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit the new birth is that moment when god imparts new life into someone who is dead and transforms them into a new person all the things that nicodemus hadn't experienced he was not a new person he tried to fake it until he made it but it wouldn't work he needed a transformed soul and only comes about by being born again and that's only given by jesus his dead spirit needed to be regenerated and made alive spiritually now i'm probably someone of my age here although a few of the younger ones depending if you're interested in this stuff might get it but video games i grew up on video games sega mega drive the genesis the n64 the gamecube the playstation for those of you who aren't into video games you'll know the playstation but either way all of us will know how they work you're a character that you select you start at the beginning of your level you'll walk through or run through or try and accomplish the tasks the missions that level demands of your character but more often than not especially if you're like me all the time never completed a game really you'll die something will get you an enemy will eat you you'll get shot or something like that 
But the game doesn't necessarily just end. There can be a game over, and it's game over. You start completely from scratch. But more often than not, you'll get lives, won't you? You'll get like three lives, and you'll get chances to try again. So when you die, you fall into a pit or something like that, you will, call, you will regenerate, is what they call it, or you'll respawn, you'll come back to life at the start, and you'll just have to try and do better. You'll have to try to avoid that man who's trying to shoot you, that dinosaur who's trying to eat you, or that pit where you remember you fell down into the lava before. You'll just try to need to do better. But it's different for us because in some ways that's true when it comes to our new birth. We're given a fresh start. We're given a brand new opportunity, but we don't live the same way we lived last time like you do if you're playing a video game. We get new abilities. We get new gifts. We get new power to live life right, to live life the way God wants us to live. We receive the power when we're born again not to fall into the pit of sin, not to be gobbled up by the monster that is the devil, and he is a monster, a lion prowling around, ready to devour who he wants to. We're given power through Jesus' new life to say no to our sin and to defeat the devil in the areas he's trying to devour us in. We're given a new life with new powers to overcome him. We, with our new birth, become alive to live righteously, not sinfully. We become alive to live obediently to God, not disobediently to him. We don't try harder, and hear this, we don't try harder and we don't necessarily do better. We are better. There's a place for discipline, but there's more of a place for grace. We don't try better we don't do better, we are better if we trust in our new identity and we stick to Jesus and his empowering spirit indwelling each and every one of us. We are better, we're fixed, we're healed, we're restored, we're made brand new. We're no longer children, we're now, sorry, children of light, not children like Nicodemus, a child of a darkness. We're born free to live righteously, obey God and please him not enslaved to sin and unable to obey God. The new birth gives us all these things when we trust in Jesus. So we have a new birth through water and the spirit, says Jesus. You'll remember that verse we just read. Now, to be clear, if you are thinking this way, maybe most of us aren't, that doesn't mean you need to be baptized to be saved. You do need to be baptized because it's in obedience to Jesus. He commanded that we would. And I know it's a journey for many of us. And we're so chuffed that we've got a couple of guys who are taking that step of obedience and we had a lady Nafi recently who made that step as well but that doesn't mean you're saved water physical water doesn't give you new birth you know babies are born through their mothers into that into that physical water it's not the same for our spirits we come about through the the water of the spirit the two terms we use together it just means the same thing Okay, water and spirit. John is just saying it's through the spiritual. In the Bible, water is used as kind of um, an example of how the spirit works. He flows like water. He's a mighty rushing stream, etc., etc. So when John's writing that, he's just saying it comes through the spirit. 
The Spirit is a spirit of holiness. And so to be born again by the Spirit, it produces a cleansing of our hearts. We're purified in our hearts. So then the new birth is that moment when we truly believed on Jesus Christ and through him, God the Father sent the cleansing Holy Spirit into your life to be made brand new, to revive our dead nature and to give us new life to God, being alive to the things of God. So thirdly then, we've seen how we've needed the new birth. We do need it, what it is exactly. But let's just see briefly how the spirit that we've just been talking about sovereignly makes it happen and our experience of that reality. So reading seven to eight lastly, he said, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So in the Hebrew language, I mentioned how the Spirit's somewhat synonymous with water. If you read about water in the Old Testament, the beginning of the Bible before Jesus comes, more often than not, it's, there's some reference to the Spirit as well. But in the Hebrew language, the word for Spirit can also be translated wind. If any Hebrew scholars are here, it's ruach, ruach. Apparently some people think it's that word because it's like ruach. Like it, there's, a, there's a blowing when you say the word Maybe it's, it's, you know, people think that, who knows. But that is the word for it. And it's translated spirit or wind. And Jesus knows this because he's a good Jew. And he's doing a bit of a word play here. He's trying to capture Nicodemus's attention. Um, he's using this as a word play and he's showing its effects and an illustration of the spirit's work. So just like the wind can't be and bear in mind this is in Jesus's time not now it's a little bit different you know we got wind turbines now and we can somewhat generate wind and somewhat control it but in Jesus's day that wasn't that wasn't the case so he's talking about wind and he's saying just as the wind whips itself up where it wants to and just as the wind will have its effect on trees on buildings there'll be hurricanes there'll be storms what have you We will see the effect of the wind, the fruit of the wind, by the devastation it does, I suppose, more often than not, by the effects of it. Whether it's blowing a ship along the sea, whether it's pushing down on a tree, whatever it might be, we see the effect of the wind, but we can't manipulate it. We can't control it, and we can't make the wind do what we want it to do. So Jesus is saying that the spirit is something similar to that he is something similar to that all we can do is simply see the effects of God's grace in the lives of born again people we see the effect of God's grace in the life of born again children of the kingdom just like we see the wind and its effects all around us the spirit is powerful And he is causing those of us to be born again that he is impressing himself upon. The spirit is blowing salvation onto people he wants to blow salvation onto. And those of us who are born again, we just go, blow me over. (laughs) Spirit, just blow me over. Save me and come and blow redemption into me. New life, blow new life. You know, like when someone needs resuscitation, open their mouth, do CPR and everything, and you blow into them. 
Not to be a bit gross about it, I suppose. I'm just thinking of this on the spot. But that's what the Spirit's doing. He is blowing new life into us who are dead. It's like a spiritual CPR, I suppose, actually. So the Spirit has power to impart new life, and we simply experience it. So lastly, then, I'll close with this. What will our response be, then, to this? Just two things our responses, I think, need to be to Jesus' teaching to Nicodemus and now to us in the modern day on being born again. Firstly, let's go on living it out. Let's live out our new life. This is for the Christians in the room now, us, the believers, the ones who are born again. It's good to know, important to know, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We've got new life. But we have to move from knowing about it into living in the light of it. We need to live it out. We need to put it into practice. If we're new, we don't do the old things that we used to do. And by God's grace, he helps us walk with a new identity in a newness of life. We have to put this new birth of ours with its new nature, its new desires, and its new will into practice. We want different things to the things we used to want when we didn't know Jesus and we weren't born again. We think of different things. We set our mind on heavenly things, righteous things, good, pleasing, perfect, pure things. It's not without battles, and it's not without setbacks, and it's not without pullbacks, but it's all on the foundation of grace. We are always moving forward in our new life, looking looking more like Jesus. So then this week, let's perhaps, if you've got a moment, reflect and consider whether our daily lives are marked by our new identity. So how do we talk to other people? How do we talk when other people aren't around? How do we respond or react when something happens that was not on the agenda? What's our attitude to circumstances and situations that aren't what we were really wanting? How do we behave generally? Is it as those who have been born again to live right before God, to pursue good works? We need to do good works. Good works is a good thing. (laughs) Good works aren't the root, but they are the fruit. Our root is grace and God's undeserved kindness and mercy, but that's shown in how we live our lives to other people. Let's pray then. Pray for a moment, I mean, in your week, not now for more grace and more power in our personal worship to model Christ-like characteristics, to be like Jesus in the office, in college or university, when you're in the classroom, when you're at the mums group, looking after your kids, when you're by the water cooler, when you're in the privacy of your own home and you get news that is frustrating. Let's pray for power and grace to live in our new identity and not like we used to. Then absolute lastly then, For those who aren't born again, whoever you may be, it's important to give this opportunity when you're learning about the new birth. Can I invite you then to receive new life in Jesus? Christ died on a cross that you might live in his kingdom. Christ died so you could live. Christ died so you can live. Jesus rose from the grave so you could rise from the grave of your soul your dead, dark soul, if you don't know Jesus. Our Lord gave us his Holy Spirit, so your spirit 
could be made alive to him and enjoy a relationship with your father, your creator. Like Jesus said, you can't go back to your mum and have her give birth to you again, but you can go to Jesus and he will give you the best birth, the better birth than your mum gave you, the birth that God wants to give you to have a relationship with him. It's great to have a mum and dad relationship. It's greater to have a heavenly father relationship. And that comes through knowing Jesus and being born again. So leave your old, sinful, condemned self behind and receive your new, righteous, accepted identity in Jesus. Ask someone about it. Ask me, Josephine, whoever you've seen from the front today or the person you came with has talked to you about how you can live for Jesus. Amen. Josephine. Possibly. Dan's gone to the back. Uh, Carolyn, do we have anything to share this morning or not? Well, we can all share the same thing. Oh yes, so let's just welcome the children, they're going to come and 